Hey, welcome to the Holes of Mark podcast show. And today I'm talking to Maggie Hart. Maggie is an internationally recognised talk show host, interviewer, lecturer, available for public appearances, author, life path specialist, and Christian ordained minister, specialising in spiritual warfare and deliverance, house clearing and blessings across the country and internationally by Skype and phone, ghost investigations, baptisms, marriages and funerals, her fruits of the Spirit manifest through the prayerful sessions that resulted in miracle healings and many positive life sessions through guidance of the Holy Spirit. Her current pursuit is a two-year degree in ministry aids. As to her background credentials, Maggie strives to someday her brick-and-mortar place of fellowship for her ever-expanding ministry. Maggie has also spent years advocating for the ministry of the disadvantaged, including the homeless, elderly, developmentally developed, disabled veterans and children, uh, whistleblowing on her radio show, The Pertitude Powwow, I might have said that wrong, have lighted many and shed light on the darkness and deception in the world. And she's critical claim. She also does the Platitude podcast, which is currently on a hiatus. A one-hour feel-good show that promote joy and, and negate negativity while discussing positive and informational stories, recipes, comedy, music, and more. And hi, Maggie. How are you? Thank you yourself. I'm all right. Now, can you tell me what inspired you to c- c- become a minister? Uh, what, what, I had um, had many experiences as a child. I was born with these, uh, what some people will call gifts of the spirit. Um, some people in the new age will call them psychic gifts. And so I was born being able to see things, smell things, hear things and be able to uh, see things into the future. And so uh, I shelved a lot of that in my, uh, about my teenage years into my early 30s. And um, my family, my cousins encouraged me to, to come forth and to do some things with them. And so as I did that and I opened up these gifts again, um, at times, I was subjected to uh, the evil, and so uh, in the course of my work, I started to get involved in ghost hunting and um, things like that, and uh, you know some negative things followed me home, and uh, I wasn't, no one had ever showed me how to protect myself from those things, so I started to learn about that, and uh, consequently, as a result, ended up studying more about it and becoming ordained. And then right now I'm pursuing my two-year ministerial degree uh, as a result. What's the scariest thing you've come across in your ghost investigations? Uh, Probably the scariest thing that I came across was before I had any experience with how to... I was not aware when I was doing this type of thing that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a very big potential for something to follow you home. 
and I was out at a, a state park. They were doing a you know ten dollar ghost hunting tour, and you could go and look at the buildings and and uh, you know just view everything. They'd show you a video or a lecture and some pictures. And so after the lecture was over, uh, they allowed you to tour this place uh, on the grounds, which my understanding was it was formerly some sort of friary. And I went upstairs and looked around and came back down the stairs, and there was a guy standing there with an ID tag. And I said to him, you know, are you part of this group? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, how come you didn't speak about the man in the rocking chair or this that was upstairs or that, and you haven't had any photographic evidence of these things that exist in this house and his eyes got really big and he looked at me and he said well he said i want you to meet the leader of our group he said you're right there are some things that we've discovered that we haven't uh, let the public be privy to so i went up and i met the leader of the group and by then most of the people who had paid for the tour had dispersed and after speaking with me for several minutes she asked me to come with her and the rest of the group at around midnight that night to a road, a haunted road that they frequently investigated uh, maybe once a month as part of their team. And they would capture pictures and audio clips of things that they had found there. And she wanted me to go with her to see, you know, because I had these, these gifts without any equipment, if I could pick up on what was out there and also, you know, led credence to some of the things that they had captured on photograph and in audio. And also, as an aside to that, when that was over, she wanted me to go back to her house with the group where they would end their evening because she believed that there was a spirit that resided in her home. So we went and had a quick cup of coffee, and they really didn't give me too much background into what I was going to encounter. And we got out there, and I was in my car, which was a Blazer, a Chevy Blazer, and a car pulled in behind me, and then a car pulled into the right of me, and then a car behind that. So essentially, I was locked in, and there were no street lights on that section of the road. We had parked by a railroad track, and everybody got out of their vehicles and stood uh, alongside in front of their vehicles, well, up against their vehicles. So basically, there were eight or nine of them that were facing the passenger side of my vehicle with their arms crossed. And I thought, uh-oh, you know, <laughs> here I am in the middle of the night in the dark with eight or nine adults. And, you know, they've told me that we're here to do some sort of ghost investigation, but I'm speaking to them and nobody would answer me. And I dropped my flashlight under the seat. So I got out of my car and I was talking to them and I was trying to find my flashlight. And they just wouldn't answer me. They just stood there with their arms crossed and it was was a little bit uh, unnerving, and consequently, as conversation continued, or rather as I continued to speak, they wouldn't answer me. So I got sort of frustrated after a couple of minutes, and I said to them, look, you know, either you tell me what we're doing here, and somebody answers me, or I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to back over the vehicle behind me and get out, because I'm not feeling comfortable right now. So it was at that point they all started to talk, oh, we're sorry, we're sorry, this is just what we do. You know, we come out here and we investigate and we see what we can capture and we just come out in the dark and we're very quiet. So they put another woman in my vehicle with me after that and we drove to different sections of the road. And um, there was the gentleman that was at the bottom of the stairs. It turns out that he was able to see things and hear things as well. 
So at each location on the road that we stopped at, I would position myself next to him so that we could compare notes on what we were seeing or feeling or hearing. And um, we got out at one stop on the road and uh, I could hear, we could hear the most ungodly screams. It was of a woman and they were very, very animalistic in nature, uh, the likes of which I had never heard before and uh, very creepy. And then I looked off into the woods and a wall of mist was coming toward us. And it was a very thick white mist. It wasn't there when we parked, but it just came out of nowhere, essentially, this wall of mist. And it was approaching the, uh, the front of the woods, which then there was a little gutter. And then on the other side of the gutter was the road where we were parked. And I said to the guy, I said, do you see that? And he said, yeah, I see that. And uh, it kept coming closer and closer. And then it stopped at the very edge of the road. And right in front of where I was parked, uh, right in that vicinity, there was a very, very huge, I think it was an oak tree. And out of the mist emerged a big figure, probably, I, I'm not very good with judging measurements, but probably 8 or uh, 10 or 12 feet tall. It was big. Uh, a figure formed out of the mist, and he had two horns and cloaked feet, and he just stood there looking at us, leaning up against the tree. And I said to the guy, do you see that? And he says, yeah. And then all of a sudden we heard a very demonic sounding growling, very, very deep. Uh, again, it wasn't, I, I had spent a lot of time in the country. It wasn't a coyote. It wasn't a wolf. It wasn't a bear. I had never heard those sounds before, but the growling intensified and got louder. And it was at that point, he said, come on, let's get in the car. When we hear that, we go. <laughs> and um, so uh, we went back to the lady's house and then they told me the history of the property. Apparently, there was a nunnery there at one time, and uh, in this area there was an instance of mafia-related hits, and one of the sisters supposedly had witnessed a murder, and so as a result, uh, the mafia came and wiped out the whole nunnery. And then there was also uh, a couple who was having an affair, and uh, he was a taxi driver, and they stopped out by the railroad tracks where we had initially parked. And uh, the husband came and caught them and murdered them. And then there was a, a young boy who had a car. He was a teenager. And he knew that the brakes were failing on his car. But he allowed his parents and to take the car one night with their younger, with their younger son. And they went out on that road and got stuck on the railroad tracks. Um, something happened to the car. And a railroad train came in and killed all three of them. So there were many instances of evil out on that road. And uh, when I had first gotten there, when we got out of the car, the lady says to me, do you know how, you, how to protect yourself? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, I know how to protect myself. And I'm thinking physically. Um, I'd done a bunch of ghost hunting before and had uh, many experiences throughout my childhood, but I wasn't at all aware of spiritual warfare or how to protect myself. So she gave me a little tiny pinch of sea salt and she said oh put this in your pocket this will protect you well i got home that night and i was feeling kind of uneasy i just wasn't feeling you know just my house felt a little different and i didn't think too much of that but then a couple of nights later the man with the id tag who was uh likened to myself who could see and hear things 
had made an appointment to come over here and show me some other pictures that they had found when they had done previous investigations. And he opened up the photograph manual uh, uh, album. And in, in one of the pictures, there was a car that looked exactly like mine, the same colors, the same model, everything. And apparently the owner of this, the leader of this group rather, owned that same vehicle at one point, the same make and model and colors. And in that picture, there was a, the same figure that we saw leaning against the tree, the horn figure with the cloved feet, uh, up against the car, and he was leaning over, and it was um, putting its hoof, uh, hoof into the keyhole of her vehicle, almost like it was trying to get into the vehicle. So that night he left, and immediately it seemed like cabinets were banging. I would hear noises on the stairs. I would hear growling. I would hear banging. I would hear all sorts of noises. And... Um, and so it was at that point I was like, well, I need some help with this because I haven't had any experience with this type of thing. And, and uh, that went on for quite a while. And it got increasingly more violent. Uh, I did have, I think, some scratches on my body at that point. And so that started me on the journey to what happens. You know, what do I do when something like this happens? How do I clear it? How do I get rid of it? Hmm. What do you think spirits are? Well, I mean, ghost spirits, we, they have different terms. Some people think that uh, spirits have gone to heaven or gone above and then come back down to visit, but yet ghosts are captured here on the, on the plane uh, and haven't traveled. You know, they're stuck here or they choose to stay here. Um, I know what they are is, uh, a lot of times what they are is there's something that's pretending to be a spirit or a ghost, and I know that from my spiritual warfare experience. For instance, if something were to come to you in the nighttime and pretend to be Aunt Gertrude, there's a very good likelihood that it's not Aunt Gertrude at all, but it's a demonic energy that's pretending to be Aunt Gertrude. Um, and so I have a lot of experience with how do you take care of that and how do you get rid of it and, and make sure that it doesn't come back. But, but um, Yes, we have eternal life. Uh, it's spoken of in the Bible where people have reincarnated. So I don't believe that the soul dies. Um, however, uh, you know, and I do believe there are instances where we can have presences that can come back uh, and, and you know, give messages. Or, but it's a different type of feeling. It's not, uh, you know, if you've got somebody coming to you and talking to you and, and touching you and uh, you know that's pretty good chance that it's, it's something of the demonic it's not something that's a, you know bringing you a message from God let's say from Yahweh does that make sense? yeah that makes perfect sense to me really. now I know for a fact that the Vatican has a unit that deals with exorcism now they, my belief is that they, they, they openly are admitting there is a, such a thing as demons, but they're not so willing to openly admit there is such a thing as ghosts. Well, I mean, I was born and raised uh, a Catholic, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm sort of a Reformed Catholic. I don't follow Catholicism uh, as much as I follow the Word of the Lord and, you know, Yahweh. So, um, 
I have a lot of issues with the Vatican and what they stand for as a whole um, because I'm not I'm not thoroughly convinced that they're not a percentage of them, especially in the higher echelon that are that are pure in nature. So um, I don't lend a lot of credence to what the Catholic indoctrinations are, to be honest with you, because I know from personal experiences that I've had and things that I've seen and felt with my own, uh, seen with my own eyes and felt with my own body, that um, you know there definitely is some sort of energy, right, that exists. Um, Catholics, it's, it's a very... You know, it's a very old religion, um, but I believe that there are a lot of flaws with that perspective, and so I really don't lend much credence to what they think, to be honest with you. It's okay. I, I see that you like to help people that are less advantaged than others, as we would like to say. Yes. Yes, I do a lot of charity work. Uh, I work with veterans who are homeless, uh, people that are in need, uh, you know, just, you know, people that need food that can't afford it. Uh, if I, I see an instance of a family whose children need winter clothes, and uh, in the instances of veterans, it's uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, or if they're in a position where they, they can't afford to pay their bills or, or get their medicine, or they don't have any place to live, uh, I'm able to help them and guide them to resources that are legitimate and not just lip service that will help them uh, get the, the things that they need in order to be able to survive. Because here in the United States, I think that it's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing that people who have served and died for our country and people that have served, you know, their families aren't taken care of and people that have served our country and a lot of them come back with not just physical injuries, but psychological injuries. You know, they're just not cared for the way that I feel that they should be. No, and the elderly. A lot of work with the elderly as well. In fact, I'm going to see a couple that I visit pretty frequently on Tuesday. Uh, so, you know, if they need me to go get groceries for them because they're not able to drive or, you know, maybe throw a load of laundry in there for them or pick them up some food at the store because they're very short on their social security check, uh, you know, stuff like that. I, I, I imagine they get great pleasure out of you helping them because sometimes people don't realise that in your hour of need, if anyone comes along and just talks to you for five minutes, you feel like you're not lo no longer uh, a non-member of the human race. that's a portion of our population that kind of gets pushed to the side. You have people that have worked all their lives and been contributing members to uh, society and to the social security system, yet when they retire so frequently, these people find that at the end of the month, they, they don't have enough groceries, you know, or they don't have enough money to pay the co-pays on their medications, uh, or they can't see the doctor that they've been seeing for 30 years because their health care plan has... Uh, taking that guy off of the list. So, yeah, I mean, it's all a part of it, but absolutely the the part of caregiving with the elderly is the, you know, the friendship, you know, and just the socialness of it, to be able to sit and talk to them for a few minutes and have a cup of tea and, 
and discuss their week and the weather or what they've watched on television, it makes them feel less lonely. And it's, they're very, very valuable assets to our community. And I, I think that the way that we brush them aside is just, it's not fair. It's not right. We, we should really value our elderly because they're very, very wise and they have a lot of knowledge that technologically speaking, in this day and age, we've lost a lot of the essential knowledge that they have that can be very beneficial, especially in regards to old school medicine, um, the natural homeopathic remedies, uh, farming and gardening, being able to grow your own vegetables, things like that. I see also that you have your own radio show, and as I mentioned, you have your own podcast show, which you've um, put on hey, hey, uh, on the on the the coals, as they would say, for the moment. Yeah, the Positude podcast was the banner show that I created, and it's got a very specific format, one format on the first Sunday of the month, and then another format on the third Sunday of the month. And that is, it's very much a feel-good show. It's to give people a positive shot in the arm on a Sunday evening at 7 o'clock when they've had a rough week. So uh, I share inspirational stories, I share miracle stories, I share stories of strangers helping others, uh, recipes, music, uh, a little bit of scripture, some positive inspirational um, quotes, maybe you call them, uh, things like that, personal stories of my family's uh, growing up because of my ethnicity, um, Italian. So sharing stories about my family that are funny, maybe, or that have a lesson to them. That show is currently on hiatus just because I lost my co-host at the present time. He chose to go in a different direction and not do radio anymore. Um, But my other show, The Positive Powwow, right now I've got that on every single Sunday. And I do anything from miracle stories to whistleblowing. The last two that I've done, the the next one is airing tonight, in fact, in another about hour and a half, uh, is about a victim who she claims to be a victim of satanic ritual abuse, and she claims to be a victim of MKUltra, and she also talks about how she was uh, imprisoned and given drugs in prison and tortured. So, uh, and then before that, I did one about a gentleman in Florida who has rights to a water well where the pH levels for his water well are amazing. And he's been trying to build a pipeline to pipeline this water free to the residents of Florida and uh, how he's been obstructed by the government as a result. He's been placed in jail without warrants and his his progress has been severely hindered. However, just recently uh, he has received the backing uh, according to him, he texted me about a week and a half ago of um, Aaron Brockovich. So hopefully his case will be, uh, you know, more people will be able to view that now and he'll be able to get the help he needs. But stories like that. And then I also have two other shows that I do infrequently, Positive Prophecy, which uh, is things that I've been shown by God uh, as to what's to come, and then Positive Passages, which correlates scriptural passages to things that are happening on the planet right now. Yeah, I mean, I studied RE at school, and I I was brought up a Catholic, I know a bit about Protestant, and my wife is chapel, so I do know a little bit about, I'm not totally religious, 
I do believe that there is something out there. I do believe that, that God is like an energy force and we join him like a hive mind. I believe that. I, um, also, I think that it's... Uh, I like to talk sometimes about taboo subjects because I have mental illness and I like to talk about that. And I tried recently to talk about the incontinence after having a catheter uh, um, put in you. Because my wife, some time ago, was in hospital. And while she was in the hospital, she had to have a catheter in, in place because that's what they do. And whilst, um, after she's had the catheter, it's caused a lot more incontinence problems. And she has to use things like pads and things like that. But it's a very taboo subject to find people to talk about. Well, I, I would. What I would suggest for your wife is I, I'm not an advocate of big pharma and modern medicine because, in my opinion, a lot of the medications that are out there, the side effects are worse than what you're taking the pill for, for you know the initial problem. So what I would like for your wife, what I would suggest is that she uh, look on the internet for holistic cures for um, incontinence, you know, certain herbs or maybe a vitamin that she could take that would aid her incontinence. And, uh, you know, there are exercises, there are Kegel exercises she could do to strengthen that part of the body if she's healed enough to do so. Um, you know, I, I really can't lend a lot of knowledge to that, but I'm happy to talk about whatever you'd like to broach today in the time that we have. Well, I'm also, I think that death is becoming not um, less talked about, and violence is becoming more acceptable in society. Absolutely. Uh, you know, but the result of bitter violence is usually, especially in a, in a violent crime is death, right? So, uh, you know, those things kind of go hand in hand. I think that, I think that, you know, mainstream media is another thing that I have an issue with, Mark, because it's not portraying events as they happen realistically on the planet uh, accurately. And there's a lot of things that were not being shown in mainstream media. So, uh, you know, you have to wonder when all that you're being subjected to on the news is violence and uh, riots in the street and protesting and things like that, is that subsequently, is it a subconscious thing so that, you know, when we're watching a lot of these violent programming shows or these news shows that are promoting violence, is that to sort of you know, deaden our senses to that kind of thing? You know, um, but, but as far as violence and murder, you know, when you have extreme violence, it typically ends in a crime, right? Wouldn't you say where the person is murdered? And so why is it becoming more prevalent? I think it's probably to desensitize a lot of us, to get us used to the fact that, um, you know, this this is the way it should be or this is the way it will be. I'm also, I hate the word political correctness. So I'm thinking, I can... Oh, un- me too. <laughs> I can understand where you started from. I Don't get me wrong. I do accept that some things previously were wrong. I'm not going to say they weren't because they were. But I think it's gone too far now. I'm in total agreement with you. I could speak for hours on that topic. It's something that bothers me uh, very, very much uh, because 
it has become out of control. When two adults are unable to share their perspectives in a forum and have an adult conversation, a respectful conversation, uh, whereby if you have a different view than me, we should be able to sit down over in England a cup of tea or over here a cup of coffee or a beer, let's say, and discuss that and, and hash out, why do you feel this way? Well, I feel this way for a reason, and here are, here are the reasons that I feel this way. And it's just gotten so out of control that you can't even make a statement. I mean, they're changing, they're changing sports figures, teams' names because they're politically incorrect. It's just, it's gotten so crazy, and uh, at least in the United States. And I, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's, again, it's a shill. It's to separate the masses because I think that the powers that be politically understand very inherently uh, because this has been an age-old problem for centuries and it's one of the oldest tricks in the book in the battle. If you, if you have anything to do with history and you read battle stories and um, strategic stories, you know, if they separate the masses and they keep us all divided, then we can't unite and conquer the true evil that faces our planet. So, yeah, political correctness, that was put in place to divide the masses, in my opinion. And, uh, and you've got so many people out there that just don't have the capacity to think for themselves intellectually, and they don't have the empathy for fellow human beings, and they're so intent on being right that uh, they're almost brainwashed to the point where if someone else shares a different opinion, it's, you know, it's automatically wrong. But what's happened there is it's kind of expanded. And what we see now is if you have a party that doesn't agree with your viewpoints, uh, they don't just verbally disagree with your viewpoints and have an intellectual conversation. You know, they'll meet you out in the street and uh, beat you up or, you know, hit your car or, you know, try and hurt you, you know. And that's where all of these Antifa groups come from. And if you look at the... If you look at these people as a whole, and you look at what's there, I mean, you've got 80-pound kids that have never encountered battle, uh, you know, trying to be bullies and, you know, running their mouth and being disrespectful, and that also was a result of our society as a whole. These kids have been raised to be uh, spoiled rotten without any morals or values, and so they grow up thinking that they have all of these rights when they've never worked half of them a day in their lives, and they're being disrespectful to the elder uh, population of our community. What about those punch games you see where, you know, you have these gangs of kids going out and punching elderly people in the streets just for fun? It's become totally out of control. And I think what we need from the bottom up is a whole reform. And we need to get back to grassroots. We need to back, get back to spending time with our families and, and educating our children. Uh, and that certainly doesn't happen in the schools in the United States because they're changing our textbooks. They're changing history in the school books. So you need to be able to educate your children at home and teach them values and morals and what it's like to earn a dollar and um, you know, stop all this madness, right? Okay, it's like I'm a great believer that history repeats itself. I mean, I can use the example of your fellow president at the moment who is saying he wants to pull out the agreement with... Um, the, the Russians over nuclear war uh, weapons. I'm sorry, I 
sorry, I didn't quite catch what you said. Um, you know, the, I'm a great believer that history is repeating itself. Because at the moment, yes. your current president is saying that he wishes to withdraw from the nuclear arms deal that they made with Ru- uh, Russia. And there possibly could be another Cold War. I'm not saying it's going to be, because I can't predict things like that. But it's just funny how all these things are, uh, like we saw him before are all happening again. Yes, I believe that in a lot of instances history does repeat itself. I'm in agreement with that as well. Uh, you know, politically speaking, I tend to not get on that soapbox in a public forum to often um but personally speaking i do feel as though uh he's doing a lot better job than some of our previous presidents in so far as for instance uncovering pedophilia here in the united states there's a huge proportion of people you know millions potentially that are being human trafficked and so he is uh breaking that up, and I think that that goes to a very, very high echelon in government here. Uh, I know that you have instances of it there, too. I see on Facebook and, and news articles that um, your people are also arresting people that are implicated in this type of crime. And I think that in that instance, he's doing some good. And I think that some of his, some of his points are, are credible. And I can agree with what he's doing, but, you know, in other instances, because of the fact that I'm able to, um, God's given me a gift, and I can see what's coming, um, I, I, I would not suggest that people have all of the hope and faith in him uh, that they do, because we really, you know, at this point, you don't know, you know, you have to kind of wait and see, right? Well, yeah, that's exactly, I mean, I mean, over here, you may have heard that we are discussing the word Brexit. If you if you ne- if you live in the UK, we're probably sick to death of the word Brexit. Of the word what? I'm sorry. Brexit, where we're getting out of Europe. Oh, okay. We're meant to be getting out of Europe. Well, we voted for it, but I don't think it'll ever happen. I think there's too many people who don't wish to leave it because of the thing called money. Well, that's my just my personal opinion, not a political view opinion but that's my personal opinion now i i quite i quite like the fact that you like inspirational stories recipes and comedy and music because um some time ago i did a little story about my departed peaky called robbie and um it's got it went down quite well because it's like a little kid's story oh okay well i i think that anything that we can do to help our fellow man or to raise the, uh, you know, there's, again, you've got mainstream media and all they're promoting is violence and death and all sorts of horrific things. If you can focus more on the positive and the blessings that you receive each day and you can spread that to other people uh, just by, you know, simply offering to hold open the door for somebody in a supermarket or letting them go ahead of you at a stoplight um, and, you know, or if you have extra vegetables in your garden, sharing with the person next to you who seems as though they're having a, a struggle to support their family. If every single person does one or two kind things a day, 
think about what a better place this world would be to live in, right? So, you know, your story, inspirationally, if it's a positive story and it's and it's children are reading it and they're, and they're discovering that, wow, you know, life's not a bad place after all, then you're doing something, right? Yeah, I, I think that we underestimate the power of, what we, of human nature. Because I use the example of Remembrance Day. Because during Remembrance Day, most people respect it. And for two minutes, the whole world stops in like a moment of prayer for those who have fallen and the victims and on both sides. We have to remember that. Um, uh, and if I was looking down and I was an entity or an alien or whatever, I'd be pretty impressed by this. Well, if you're, are you speaking about 9-11? No, um, you know, when we do um, Remembrance Day for World War Two, and, and obviously 9-11 as well. Well, I'll tell you, honestly, in this country, the periods of silence, uh, I've been reading up on that as well, and as 9-11 approached, a lot of schools chose to ignore that time of silence. And so, again, you have to wonder about that. I think that if we stand true to that philosophy, you mentioned earlier something interesting, the beehive, uh, the collective beehive consciousness, which I very much advocate uh, insofar as being in touch with the creator, in touch with Yahweh. Um, we're all connected. We're all just a ripple in a pond. And so if we all work together to uh, either pray or send good intentions uh, as a whole, as a collective whole, and we're able to connect with that higher consciousness, with that God, uh, with Yahweh. Um, you know, I absolutely think that it would be very beneficial to all involved, as opposed to focusing on the violence and the negative and the crime. Uh, I think that it would help a lot of people uh, with their depression. I think that it would help uh, just humanity as a whole if everybody were to do that on a daily basis why why have it be once a year let's do it every day you know yeah, we could spend, we could start that right? movement together Maggie. we could we could start it today <laughs> we could we, well we could i could, I, we, I think what can i think of today that was um i did that was a good thing today i know i did a good day. i i my my son, stepson, regularly helps our next door neighbour take the next door dog out for walks. And next door neighbour's dog is quite an elderly dog, but he go he when he goes he's wagging his tail, he's quite a, a huge grin on his face as he's walking along, and the next door neighbours are quite appreciative that my stepson helps them out this way. The only a little bit of inspirational for somebody to listen to. Again, something so simple, a kind gesture, to, gesture rather, toward your fellow man. If everybody were to do one or two things like that a day, rather than, you know, scoff at people in the supermarket because they're a different color than you are, or maybe they're not dressed as well as you are, or maybe they don't have the designer pocketbook that you have, uh, I think that it would just do a world of good, literally, you know? And so I think it's very important that we strive to maintain that mindset. And then again, going back to the hive collection, uh, as far as thoughts go, the collective beehive consciousness, if we all do things like that and think positively and have faith 
that everything is going to be okay rather than focus on the negative and the violence, I think that we could help, again, humanity as a whole. Judge not the because I judge thyself or something like that, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that we are in a day and age with the way that we're raising our children that are now becoming adults uh, to be uh, to feel personally empowered and to be selfish, uh, you know, and to be, uh, there's a word that they use for it, and I can't, it escapes me right now, but, uh, you know, just where they feel entitled, you know, and I see so many children who are speaking disrespectfully to their parents that have, you know, worked very, very hard to raise them and to clothe them and to feed them, and, you know, they expect the $500 phone, and they expect the $350 video games, but they haven't had to do anything to go out and earn that. And and we have these parents who are continually striving to provide these things for these children, but not teaching them any morals and values as a result. It's a, it's a oh, you want this uh, iPad? Okay, you can have it for Christmas. Well, what did that child do to earn it? Is that child still speaking disrespectful to, disrespectfully to you? Is that child... Uh, helping around the house? Is that child being loving and caring and protective of their siblings? Is that child going out and raking the guy's lawn next to him because he's in a wheelchair and he's not physically able to do that himself? Um, And that's where I think the country's gone wrong in so many aspects, is we don't have those family values anymore that intrinsically teach us to have respect and to have a good work ethic. And so as a result, You've got these children that are going to college and they're expecting a free education. And so many times what I see is they're sitting in class on their phone, okay, and they're wasting the government's money on that and our taxpayer dollars on that free education. But they're there just to coast. They're there to party. They're there to play on their phone. They're there to skip class and sit in their room and play video games. And, you know, there are many, many children that are struggling to get through college to get a decent education so that they can be a beneficial member of the community. And, you know, in so many cases, those children, at least up until a couple of years ago when they changed the laws here in New York State anyway, uh, you know, there were many children that wanted to school and they, they were forced to take out student loans or provide on their parents' income to help them sustain an education in which when they graduated, they'd be a productive member of society. Now, uh, would you like to give out some links to where people can listen to your radio show? Sure. It's every Sunday at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and it's www.l, like Larry, and like Nancy, m, like Martha, radionetwork.com. So it's www.lnmradionetwork.com. And you can reach me by email. It's Maggie, M-A-G-G-I-E, underscore, heart, capital H-E-A-R-T, at Outlook.com. I am on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those. And I do have a website as well. So if you just search Maggie Hart, it's Maggie Hart 1, I think. on One is Maggie Hart 1 and one is Maggie Hart 2 on Instagram and Twitter. You'd have to search those. Right. The website I put it to you in the bio. I don't have that memorized. So. Okay. Also, you said you write books. What kind of books do you write? 
Oh, I had written, and they're available through Amazon and, um, oh my gosh, what's the other one? Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, two, also two books for children. Uh, and uh, I do lectures. I do a lot of lectures. I do a lot of classes on spiritual warfare uh, in my community. And uh, also sometimes I get asked to go to different states to present uh, regarding my experiences with spiritual warfare. And uh, I do a lot of uh, going to people's homes. I, I get calls all the time to go to someone's home and investigate if they're having an activity in their home. And then, as a result, uh, clear that. And, uh, and I do do deliverance also. It's a very important part of my ministry. And then, in addition, I, I help the less fortunate. So it's, it's kind of a well-rounded ministry, I think. Well, as I say, you know, people have got this vision. I take take this wrong, but you have to go to church to worship God. But I think that you can worship God and everything you do daily. I think that if you live the way that Jesus did, and you love you know love God first, and then your fellow man, I think those are two of the most integral parts of what came out of that old book. And uh, I don't feel that it's necessary, personally speaking, to go to a church or an institution. You can have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with Yahweh by yourself with no middleman, um, especially when we look at uh, the Catholic Church. You know, you've got to go and pay your money in the basket or you're not going to get to heaven. It doesn't work that way. And so I, I agree with you on, on that point. Uh, eventually, the reason that I would primarily like to open at some point a brick and mortar building is because I have a very strong vision of that also being a soup kitchen to provide uh, food for the needy and uh, having a shelter there as well for some homeless people. So it would be, uh, and also a daycare, so it would be sort of an all-inclusive place. And, um, you know, having some place to worship once a week, that would be nice. But, uh, I mean, I've been running my ministry for a couple of years right from my home. And uh, it's just a matter of helping others, primarily. So. But I can sense that you get great pleasure at doing it. From, and you're passionate about what you do. I can hear that in your voice. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think it's important if we all do these types of things. And you don't need to do them to the max. Because I also hold a full-time job. And I have my own part-time business. So um, typically I'm on the go between 60 and 80 hours a week. That's the lifestyle that I chose, though. Um, but you don't have to do that. I mean, if you, because, uh, well, and, and I'll tell you why I believe that, because uh, I, I think in today's day and age, it's very unrealistic to, do, to uh, rely, for a church to rely solely on donations. I think that if you really, truly, are in the spirit of Jesus, Jesus was bivocational. He was a carpenter, right? So uh, for me to say, well, I'm going to sit home on my butt and I'm going to open a ministry and I'm going to rely on people's donations, uh, that's really not living the true word in my opinion. I think that if we're able to help each other and do the best that we can to be most like him, that's what really matters, you know, and the rest of it, will, if it needs to, it'll fall into place. If if God wants that for me, then he'll, you know, be able to fund that to some degree for me. But will I also continue to work 
Absolutely, because I think it's unrealistic to ask people to donate to you hundreds of dollars. I think that that's another problem that we have is that there are so many false prophets out there. We have these millionaire preachers and ministers riding around in private jets and, and that have these fancy mansions. And then when you have a flood in Houston, Texas, and you have a major church there, you're not going to open up your doors to those people that need uh, some place to go for solace and for respite that have lost their homes. Uh, you know, I just, I have a problem with that. You know, uh, I don't feel that the ministers and pastors should, should have that kind of money. And I don't think that they should take it from the public pro uh, population, uh, or the public rather, uh, unless they're going to account for, you know, every dollar going back out to help the community. So that's my thoughts on that. That's no problem. Now, before we go, would I normally do like a sign off? Now, would you do like to do your sign off first, and then I'll do mine? Okay, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that, but... Uh, just like you something for... you like to do, like like you said, you like to do something inspirational, stories, recipes and comedy and music. I, I thought we could do something along that lines to sign off the show. Oh, um, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll put you on the spot, sorry Maggie. Uh, but I like to do that a little bit, because I, 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 I can think my head ahead of head a bit, so... Well, basically, you you can give it if you want to um, give a little bit of inspiration to somebody today who's listening. In. Okay, sure. So, uh, how about this, Heavenly Father? We ask that everybody who's listening be blessed today, be healthy, be happy and safe, and that they are able to help their fellow man. And if they're in a state of a depression or anxiety to where they feel as though it's hopeless, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to come in and replenish them and give them the strength and the guidance that they need to not only follow you, but to get through this difficult time and know that with your guidance and in your love and you holding them in the palm of your hand, that they will be taken care of and they will be provided for. Uh, thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. How about that? That's very good. Thank you very much, Maggie. Now, here's mine. <coughs> Are you ready? Sure. I've just got to warm my voice up a bit. <clears throat> thank you, Maggie, for being on your show. It's nice to speak about spirituality, you know. I hope we've helped someone today and inspire them to be a better person. So please, I'd like to say good night and thank you very much. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure.